This is Michael, host of the political podcast, Kuka for Politics. I am so passionate about politics, hence the name Kuka for Politics, and I hope you are too. Thanks for joining. This is a podcast discussion on political perspectives on various issues that matter with citizens of the world. So I do ask that you grab your favorite libations, whether it be coffee, tea, water, juice, beer, wine, or a spirit or two, and let's get ready for some lively conversation, and let's learn something together. It's official, good people. The 22 midterm election season has finally come to an end, and it's now in the history books as the American people have spoken. As I mentioned before in previous episodes, the midterm election serves as a referendum of a president in power and his party. One can view these elections through the lens as a peer review, like on a job. But in this case, the bosses are us, the voters. Now, if the majority of the American electorate approve of both the president and his party's legislative agenda thus far, then perhaps more members of the president's party will be elected. If not, more members of the opposition political party, in this case Republicans, will gain more seats in both chambers in Congress, shifting the balance of power. Now, historically, the party that holds the White House lose seats in the midterms, as Americans have tend to vote for divided government. So for all tents and purposes, it was predicted the Republicans will take control of both chambers of Congress, including many other state houses and governorships. It was termed the red wave, representing the colors of the Republican Party. Now, by the end of the vote tally, and to the surprise of political pundits, Democratic candidates was able to retain the Senate by picking up more seats than losing seats. Prior to the elections, Republicans held 28 governorships and Democrats had 22. But post-election, coming to the new year, Republicans lost two governorships and are now at 26, and Democrats gained two, making now 24 Democratic governorships. Notably, in various state houses like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Minnesota, Democrats in the new legislative year will take control of state legislators after being years in the minority. Overall, the Democratic Party did not do as bad as predicted. So, based on a peer review analogy, President Biden and members of his own party got somewhat of a favorable review or pass in this year's midterms elections. Now, to be clear, it wasn't like the Republicans did not win any elections, as a party will take control of the House of Representatives in Congress next year. Although slim, 220 Republicans to 213 Democrats, but they will be in the majority. There will be a shift in the balance of power in Congress, and in a few cases, in state houses, but not of a seismic shift as news outlets, especially the conservative ones, predicted. What could explain this anomaly, insofar as the Democrats doing much better than expected, and what other takeaways the media may have missed when analyzing the midterm elections? Joining me in this discussion is no other than my Ron and Cut brother and political commentator for this podcast, Sam Jean. In brief, our bios is that we were both majors in history and graduated from a liberal arts college called Eastern Nazarene, located in Quincy, Massachusetts. 
We have kept in touch over the years as we pursued postgraduate degrees. Sam graduated with a Juris Doctorate from Boston University, and I graduated with a Master's Degree in Political Science from St. John's University, located in Queens, New York. Each of us have actively participated in various forms of political activism over the years, while working in our respective professional fields. Moreover, my guest went on to establish his own consulting firm and appeared in Canadian and U.S. media outlets discussing both domestic and foreign policies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Cuckoo for Politics, and let's get ready for some lively discussion while learning something together. Brother Sam, welcome back to another episode of Cuckoo for Politics. There are so many takeaways from the recent midterm elections. That's why we'll, we will have to make this a two-part series. The red wave turned more into a red fizzle or a drip. Despite record inflation, the president's low approval ratings, along with so many other issues that voters were concerned about, President Biden and members of his own party were able to push back and lose fewer seats in the overall political landscape. Most of Trump's endorsed candidates flamed out and lost their elections. It appears the majority of the American electorate did not really buy into the false Republican narrative of fear of others or other racist subtle notions of gangs ravaging through, and I quote, your neighborhoods. Sam, what do you make of this? And kindly share your thoughts on the elections. Well, Michael, uh, it's good to be back with you. Uh, but remember... Uh, I sent you text telling you to calm down because you were freaking out. Yes, I was. Um, yes, I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were You were a little panicky. And, and I told you that you can't pay attention to certain narratives. Okay. Now, having said that, we often talk about the fact that all politics is local. All right. And so there's a reason why as much as Democrats dislike Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell always wins in Kentucky. There's a reason why, no matter how many times conservatives try to disparage Nancy Pelosi and run against Nancy Pelosi uh, in the national media, her constituents consistently vote her back. Why? Because that politician is a local politician and all politics are local. There are certain things that will play uh, across the country, but when you're looking at congressional races, the voters decided that they weren't buying what Republicans were selling. They decided they weren't gonna buy it. And also you had a few, pardon the pun, cuckoos out there, and that was enough uh, to scare people. But real quick, um, you mentioned in inflation. Uh, there's record inflation, or they say there's record inflation, depending on, on how you look at it, but there is inflation. But wages have remained more or less the same, but unemployment is low, okay? So people may be feeling the effects of inflation, but they have a job. You wanna talk about crime. The media constantly hyped up this issue. And it turned out that that wasn't a big issue for a lot of voters, because depending on where you live, the national narrative 
about your town being like Chicago or New York, supposedly, it's not going to play because you can see that. And again, they ran cuckoos. Not to believe affiliated with cuckoo for politics, by the way, just to be clear. So <laughs> you're right. It didn't plan out. And I, I know from watching uh, news media, watching the news, I was like, wow, where are they getting this information from? And you know what's ironic? I don't know if you covered the story, but I was watching an ad where the politician was talking about how with Democrats in office, they will turn your school children, get this, into identifying as cats and that teachers are placing litter boxes in school bathrooms. I'm like, where are they getting this from? And I thought this was a spoof, but I did find it. There was an article, um, it's titled Bizarre School Fights. No American schools are not encouraging pupils to identify as cats. This was in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm like, you can't make this up. This was dated October 20th. This was part of a campaign strategy. Again, not only inflation and crime, but they're talking about schools under democratic controlled um uh school boards that teaching kids to identify as cats you really can't make this up i know exactly what you're talking about and and the problem is the genesis of that story is an actual litter box that's in a closet for a classroom right but the purpose of the litter box is this is really going to blow you. Is if there's a shooter who comes into the room and the kids have to hide in the classroom closet, it could be hours, right? And because it could be hours, then that's why the litter box is there as a suggestion. You understand? You know, I understand. And you know what? That article did not lead into that. It just. Yeah. Debunk that. Wow, that's no, interesting. No, no, but 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 of course, because that has nothing to do with identifying as a cat. <laughs> right? I know, like, I know. Right? It has nothing to do with identifying as a cat. So so this is the thing that happens because Republicans are focused on so a so-called culture war. You know, we 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 don't talk about trans. We don't talk about uh, uh, about the queer movement. We don't talk about any of that. But that's really what they're saying. They're saying that all these things that we're against, it is because schools allow anybody to identify as whatever they want to identify. Okay, because that's really what the argument is. It isn't really that oh, kids are identifying as cats. And they've said that because they actually believe that, but really it's driving the point that the liberals have gotten so out of control, right? That they, because you you want to protect trans rights, you're so out of control that anybody can be anything and you will accept that. Well, that that's just absurd. I'm still, um, I, I, I'm still like, wow, in regards to the little, to the little, it is, it is, you just shake your head, you just shake your head but about people, what's going on. But, but here's the thing, Michael, if a person on the other side is conditioned to believe that you guys are evil, you guys are out of control, 
you guys are trying to change the fundamental nature of what it means to be a human being, right? And to even use this word that gets thrown around a lot in popular culture, that you guys are demonic, there isn't anything they won't believe about you. You follow? There's a, there's a, yeah. there's nothing that you, that you can tell them that they will be like, nah, you know, I might disagree with this dude, but there's no way, right? Like they, they don't, they don't function in that way. And I have to say, I don't feel that from liberals. You know, I don't feel that liberals think that conservatives are inherently evil people. They might think policies are evil. And the way they go about engaging with them, though, isn't to say, oh, you shouldn't exist, even though conservatives present it like liberals don't want them to exist. Yeah, I, I recall a, um, an interview by uh, with President um, Obama, when he talked about, he was with Trevor Noah, and he had a candid discussion about what what took place when he ran as a state senator for Illinois to present day. He said he would go into rural parts of Illinois, running for state senator, talking to, going to, you know, communities that were very rural, um, where people did not see people like him <laughs> much into that area. He would have discussions in the restaurants, at the state fairs, et cetera, et cetera. He said what was interesting is like he could have a conversation with these individuals. They may still see him, and well, he's a Democrat. I may not like him, but I like what he's somewhat saying, some policies. I may not agree, but at least I know he has the tenacity and he wants to run for state senator. And they they saw commonality. Um, he has children, they have children, et cetera, et cetera. He says today in present day, and he says during infancy when he ran for office as president, social media was just starting out, so to speak. But he says today, if he was to go back into those same towns, those individuals already would have a preconceived notion about him because they get most of their information from either a social media feed or the likes of Fox News. So that that barrier has been placed and then you can't have that conversation. Meaning, back to your earlier point, people who have different political views already see Democrats as evil and Republicans um, will see Democrats as evil and Democrats will see, view Republicans in a different light. I mean, is that what you're relating to? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to make it seem like um, that I don't know, like there aren't that I think about certain aspects of the right wing that I, I don't think are evil. But I think to Obama's point, um, uh, he is right in this. And I, and I think, I don't even think that it's social media as much as it is. And I don't want to blame everything on Trump uh, because I don't think that, I think Trump is more a symptom than he is a cause. But I think that the symptom of Trump has opened up the floodgates in the way that we discuss politics, in the way that we talk about politics now, because they often use the term polarized. We've always been polarized in the 90s with the Clintons, right? There was polarization. With Obama and the Tea Party, there was polarization. So um, we've always been polarized, but now we're polarized in such a way um, that you don't feel safe 
having that kind of conversation that Obama talked about being able to have because people are fed a steady diet of information. And if you're in the right wing, that steady diet is littered with misinformation. Okay, I'm on the other side and I get a steady diet of stuff and I filter some of it, but the level of misinformation, to be frank with you, that the left gets, as opposed to what the right, is night and day. Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked by some nut. Within hours of his attack, they had created this narrative that it was his gay lover and it was a dispute gone wrong. That's bizarre. But that's something that they are willing to believe and they have been fed a steady diet of misinformation. And once you start going down that rabbit hole, Michael, it, it, you're gone. Yeah, I had a colleague tell me that, why didn't Nancy, how come this, um, the speaker's house didn't have security cameras? I'm like, what do you mean they don't have security cameras? He came up with that same notion that it was his, I think it was the um, Nancy Pelosi's husband's gay lover, like you said. I mean, he came up with, this was like just a few days after. I'm like, where did you get this information from? And he says he read it somewhere, that it was his love. Or not not only that, he also alluded that it was Black Lives Matter and Tifa. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And he was dead serious. And they, it, it, the way that it spread in my bar shop, I spent half my time (laughs) correcting things that are taken as fact that are absolutely incomplete. Okay, it's not even there's a question. You know, it went from that's his gay lover to he he had a grinder date. The stuff was great. (laughs) A grinder date? Yeah, like yeah, like he used the grinder app and. And they started saying that both of them were naked. You know, oh in my barbershop, I was like, listen, both of them weren't naked. But if someone broke into your house at two o'clock in the morning, you probably are going to be in your pajamas, right? And some people sleep in their underwear. That's not unusual. Okay. And then they had to correct the story and say, no, both of them weren't naked. Um, and, and there's police, there, there's some body cam footage. Uh, the whole thing went from a old man was attacked in his home and someone hit him in the head with a hammer because they had been consuming this kind of information, right? It went from that to it's a gay lover's dispute and we all should see through it for what it is. It's crazy. I'm wondering if they went straight to gay because um, it's San Francisco. Using stereotype. Because yeah, why, why, why I would they come know, up with that? Well, see, okay, so I'm, I'm going to expose something about myself that uh, <laughs> I keep secret, right? But sometimes is this a, is, is this a coming out? True confessions is wrong. <laughs> but sometimes I go down that rabbit hole. Okay, the rabbit hole of what is going on, and one of the rabbit holes that I've gone down over the years is the Nancy Pelosi rabbit hole. 
And so the listeners of, of, of this podcast may know this, but to them, uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and her husband, Paul, they're not together. Okay. Like they don't have a real marriage. They don't have a real relationship. Um, uh, it's all for show. Okay. Because he's gay and he, he does whatever he wants and, and she's power hungry and they're okay with that. Okay. So that's one of the things that has been percolating underground for years. So, and of course, they're from San Francisco, right? That's the stereotype. Of course, you know, they live in San Francisco, you know, uh, to them, that's where all gay people are, right? <laughs> so, yeah, they're only located there. Yeah, they're only in San Francisco. So, of course, you know, Nancy Pelosi's husband would 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 be uh would be gay it's just madness to me and in my barbershop what i what i what i try to convey to these conservatives is you can have legitimate reasons for not liking a a political figure candidate whatever you don't need to make stuff up about them, right? I, I I don't need to make up stuff about tr Trump's a bad example because the truth sounds like made up stuff with him. But even in Trump's case, we don't need to make up stories about him to say this person's a danger to the country or this person's incompetent or look what he did here, look what he did there. We don't have to make stuff up. And if you don't want to like Biden, if you don't want to like a democratic agenda, you have enough stuff that you can say, oh, I don't like that. You don't have to make stuff up about people. And put and 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 now the the problem is that they are putting people's lives at risk. They are. They are putting people's lives at risk. And it brings me to a point where now that McCarthy, the minority leader in the House, is soon to be speaker um, come next year. Um, they had a press conference. And the first thing, you remember, we talked, they campaigned on, we're going to combat inflation. We're going to deal with um, crime. The first thing they're going to do, again, is this, this narrative. We're going to go after Hunter Biden. Like, what does the current um, issues that we're facing today? And they're... And I remember one of the um, congressmen says was was talking about how they're going after Hunter Biden and the press was going to ask a question. He says, I'm only going to answer questions that deals with Hunter Biden. And I'm like, no, you should address the question that where's the platform of how are you going to address inflation? How are you going to address X, Y and Z? Basically, they really had no platform. Again, that false narrative again. I, to me, it seems like it's just revenge, what they plan to do after years of investigation well, of Trump. Well, um, Michael, of course it's revenge. <laughs> you know, this is this is the thing. And this is why I had to, I, I was sending you texts to calm down and, and doing this. This is the thing, though. You really are a moderate Democrat. You really are. Because you expect people to play by the rules on the other side, right? You think that there are just certain things that would just be too much, right? Like for you, you even if they were going to investigate Hunter Biden, because you 
think like a rational person, you think at least they would address inflation. Just make something. But they don't play by those rules, Michael. They say what they need to say to get elected. And they're going to do this because this is what they've been looking for. Because in their mind, there's a big conspiracy going on to to suppress conservative ideas and views and 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 the mainstream media is in it with the president and his crime family that's what they call it his crime family and so of course they're going to investigate a guy for not a laptop they have a hard drive a guy's hard drive for stuff that he might have done seven years ago when the current president wasn't even president. That doesn't make any sense. But it's revenge and it's what their base want. So they're going to do it. They're, they're going to do it. And uh, already it was revealed some embarrassing pictures of Hunter Biden um, in the bathroom, uncom- uncompromised um, positions. But nevertheless, uh, it's nothing where the investigations that the Democrats were doing to January 6th, for prime example, it's that something was um, detrimental to not only our democracy, but actually storming the Capitol. And it's interesting how the president, well, the former president, is saying it was a peaceful protest and his surrogates say the same thing. They really have no message. They have no campaign. Um, They have no even, no vision. And I'm going to use this as I pivot to Trump running again and how his campaign slogan is make America great. Again, so nothing new from 2016, nothing new from 2020. And I looked, I, I did a research. Every president, when they ran for office, they had the initial campaign theme. And then when they were running for re-election, they had a new theme. This one, it's the same thing, nothing new. And we, I kind of figure that he's pretty much running to protect himself. <laughs> okay, Michael. That's blunt. <laughs> Michael, you got me dying over here uh, because I can hear you just doing the Joe Biden. Come on, man. But I'm, I'm going to say something to you that that's going to surprise. You, OK. Trump has made a believer out of me. <laughs> OK. I didn't want to believe he had the power that he had, but he's made a believer out of me. He knows he doesn't need a new slogan. He doesn't need to give a new message. He's just going to say the same stuff that he's been saying for the past 10, 15 years. This is his opportunity again because he's a big egomaniac. This is a big opportunity for his ego. And so, of course, Trump is going to run again. And this is where I disagree with political pundits. Trump has enough support in a primary to get the nomination. I don't care what anybody says about DeSantis right now or Yunkin or Haley or whomever, okay? Because all of them also want to be president. Are all of them gonna just basically be, okay, none of us are gonna run. It's gonna be Trump versus DeSantis in the primary? No way, they're not gonna do it. And Trump, all he needs to do is get through the primary. And of course, Michael, your point is absolutely right. He also has this idea because 
in the judicial system, we have treated him differently. We have treated him with deference. And he's still stuck on this idea that, hey, if they can't indict a sitting president, maybe they can't indict a candidate who's running for president. So, of course, he's going to do it. And as we record this and people are talking about, oh, the Republican Party grew from Trump, I don't believe it. Uh, he made a believer out of me. I agree. I agree with you in regards to um, uh, um, so a thought came in my head. I said the reason why he kept his theme, Make America Great Again, I guess because he already bought so much MAGA merch from the Chinese that it's stuck in a warehouse that they have to get rid of it. <laughs> why bother Man, changing listen, things? Listen, the guy, the guy is incredibly skilled at separating people from their hard-earned money. He's incredibly skilled at that. And, and he's a marketer and he understands how to do that. And, and Trump has, has figured out, and he figured out in his presidency, the marketing power of the president. Okay, because Trump's whole entire uh, facade, the facade that is Trump, is a tool of marketing. Okay, you're fired marketing right like like part of his billionaire status is based on marketing and he realizes the marketing power of the presidency and in order for him to get it he is in a party where the people who really believe in him because they see people like DeSantis even though they may like him he's part of the establishment they see Trump as an outsider still and they like that. And they're the ones who've been driving primaries, presidential primaries. And if Trump can make it through a presidential primary, it's a wrap. He's going to be the nominee. And when oh. I say make it through a presidential primary, I mean, if there's six people in that primary, it's over. He's the nominee. Well, that's that, that. That is definitely some Vegas odds right there. Um, because you named some people who are definitely in the running. I don't. I think even Liz Cheney will even contemplate uh, running for office Come on, too. Man, you're a joke now. <laughs> no, I. I'm just saying. She Come said. On, I'm man. just commenting. She Come said that. On, she, she's not interested I mean, in making him. Um, making him to um, having access to uh, the White House again. Yes. No. But I'm saying Liz Cheney is not going to make it through a Republican primary. Oh, yeah, no, she won't. She yeah. won't, yeah. As, no, she she, she burned she burned those bridges. So l l let me, um, lastly, what about the media coverage? Do you fault, like, the poll numbers were kind of skewed mm -hmm. to say the Republicans and the media coverage was saying, okay, it's over for the Democrats? I think you sent me an article about how the, the media itself already um, wrote off the Democrats and was in favor of the Republican wave. And that's what started out this whole conversation that did not happen. Do you think the media got it wrong? Um, I think how the media is structured. And when I use this word, some people may find it offensive. Apologies in advance. But when I talk about corporate media, how the corporate political media works, it's very clear they like horse races 
because that that's an exciting story. Things are close. Things are happening. And they like predictability. And it what usually happens, and let's be clear, the thing that was supposed to happen sort of happened, which is to say that the president who was in power, his party lost one or both houses of Congress. Okay, so that happened. But the way it happened is a narrative that Republicans were pushing and what these people were pushing, because let's think about this. Nobody thought, they they told us, nobody's really going to care about abortion when this rolls around. And what was the number one issue? Abortion. In those states that they didn't pick up seats that they needed to pick up, what was the number one issue? Abortion. That's in the polling. They just said, no, no. Well, when because there's a difference. If, if the polling, it's how the question is asked. If you ask someone, do you think inflation is a problem? Okay, of course, they're going to say yes. If you never, if you say, do you think abortion is a problem? The way you phrase that question, you might get a different answer. But here's what also happened. They let Republican posters, and this one particular Republican poster from the Trafalgar group, he, he became popular because in 2016, he was, uh, the one he was one of the few people who said that Trump would win, okay? But he's a Republican operative. In 2016, uh, I'm sorry, in uh, in the previous election in 2012, he had also predicted that Mitt Romney would win. Mitt Romney didn't win, okay? And so his company they flooded the airwaves with his polls, which always had the Republican candidate either too close or ahead. They were wrong about Colorado. They were wrong about Washington. They were wrong about Nevada. The only thing they weren't wrong about was Florida with Rubio, but Florida is essentially Republican, and J.D. Vance, who every poll had him losing anyway. But, Michael, all politics is local. You can't look at something nationally and say, oh, it's going to apply this here, it's going to apply there, it's going to apply there in the exact same way. And the abortion issue really drove people and it drove young people. Yeah, that, that really drove young people. They were motivated, especially I even um, there was a report on my local news where the older the father um he brought his granddaughter, I want to say, um, and he says, I'm voting Democrat because I'm looking out to protect her, her rights. And that was a profound statement. You saw that a lot, that those that kind of surpassed um, a high priority. I would say abortion and um, denying election deniers from getting to any levels of uh, access to power. Um, democracy was at stake. And I think the president articulated, articulated that message over and over again on several occasions and his surrogates, meeting the former President Obama and so forth. They also um, said those words as well. So that also drove a lot of young people um, across the finish well, line voting Democrat. Yeah. But his what last one point, though, there is a local, because of that, local politicians and um, 
There's one politician who puts it on the ballot. I have to see if it's in other states, but I know in Pennsylvania, she wants to raise the minimum voting age to 21 because of the turnout by young people. This is also the thing is that the media, you know, and let me back that up. People who spend a lot of time uh, talking about voting and engagement of voting uh, usually disparage the younger generation of voters. They don't come out. You can't rely on them. Uh, that's usually the narrative about them and the expectation. Uh, but time and time again, they come out and they deliver a message. And my interpretation of that message is that they are far more progressive than the country thinks they are, than the country itself might be. And there are certain things that they want and they expect, and they're going to fight for those things. Okay. Now, as it relates to, to the to the other point that you made, the cuckoos will turn independent people off because like it may play well on Fox News, but when you have to go in and you're standing there and you're telling people an election that happened two years ago was stolen and that if you're in charge, you'll make sure you get the right result. And people voted against your candidate. You're telling them that their vote didn't matter. It was cast fraudulently. And even if he's on your side, this is a person who's talking about something that most people have accepted that the president lost. And now people are coming out and they're saying it in the open, we'll rig the election, <laughs> right? If you if you vote for us, we'll make sure we never lose again. Um, um, you're, uh, I'm, I'm laughing um, because inside and out, I'm like, what the heck? And there was a report that, um, you, you, you know the term curing the votes? Yes. So there was, um, what do you call it? So in certain... In my state, you could mail in your ballot, but if you forget to put the date, they will nullify that vote. So the state, when someone, a voter would mail in their ballot and it would get to their local election um, office, the state would also, the county would email that person, contact that person, say, hey, you forgot to put a state, I mean, a date, please come um, and just correct it. And so that would happen. And so... Democrat, the Democratic Party got that list, and along with Republicans got that list, and they just reminded their voters, don't forget, oh, you, you forgot um, to put the date or you didn't sign correct, you didn't sign, please go back to the officials. And they would do that. But now there's a challenge to say the party, the Democratic Party, should not have contacted those voters to make the necessary correction. And so they're like, wait, what's wrong with doing what we did? We didn't ask them who they vote for. We just saying, make sure you put the correct information in it, add the date, uh, make sure you sign it. But also they said, okay, well, if that's the case, let them vote provisionally with the correct information. And they don't even want that to happen. They don't want anyone who made a mistake. They cannot vote whatsoever. But on the Republican side, it doesn't matter. No, it never matters on the Republican side. But but part of the voting rights 
is that as a voter, you are allowed to cure your ballot. Okay. So for example, if I, by the way, I need to say this um, before I forget to mention this. The other thing is the young people, they vote by mail a lot. And I'm starting to vote by mail a lot. I haven't been to the polls since COVID, uh, since a little bit before COVID, because the last time I went in there, it was, it, it's more comfortable for me to vote at home, Michael, especially from the state of California. We have propositions. As I'm filling out my ballot, I can actually inform myself more about the issues uh, when I when I fill it in. But back to your point about this, uh, uh, these challenges, they don't want votes counted that go against their candidate. That's just, that's just the end. Donald Trump has ushered in the era that you you don't ever lose when you're a Republican. If you win, that's the right result. If you lose, it was fraud. It's a brilliant strategy. I th- yo, they embrace it too. And it's you know, and the, genius in it, right? Hey, like like heads it's my heads I win, tails you lose. Right? And and what, what gets me though is that when it's reported, it's reported like it's it that they're they're making good faith argument. That's not a good faith argument. You, you want, want to all of a sudden magically go up to 21 because 18 to, you know, 34-year-olds are voting heavily Democratic. That's why. And you figure, let me disenfranchise 18 to 21-year-olds so that I can win an election. You can't cure a ballot because you're a registered Democrat. But I bet you if you're a registered Republican, they'd let you cure your ballot. Yeah, the, and exactly, and they do that heavily in um, more um, congressional districts or areas that are heavily registered um, Democrats. So they don't do it everywhere else. Listen, when we when um, I got to get you back here on another subject because there's so much other topics I want to talk about um, as a result of the midterm elections. Um, do you mind coming back? Uh, yeah, I mind coming back. You know, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we keep it running. I guess. All right, excellent. All right, thank you. Stand by for my closing thoughts. Cooking for Politics podcast is brought to you by Global Pulse Media, which has partnered with Hivecast FM a firm that assembles a creative and professional team that takes podcasts such as Kuku for Politics to the next level. This team handles all audio and video editing services. So for a nominal fee, you will get a personal account manager that helps take the headache out of editing and just leave podcasters like myself focus on just creating good content for their audiences. So if you're a podcaster listening and need help editing, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached at cuckooforpolitics at gmail.com. I could not have succeeded without this talented team at Hivecast FM. Before I close, let me first say thank you for listening and ask that you subscribe to this podcast, which can be listened on Apple, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or whatever podcast platform you choose to listen to this episode. Once you subscribe, you'll be able to get the latest episodes that drops as well as some bonus features. Follow me on Facebook under Cuckoo, the number four politics, or Instagram, Cuckoo 
underscore the number four underscore politics or my very own website kukaforpolitics.com feel free to comment on either of those platforms as i welcome all feedback now republicans have managed to make history in the midterm elections but not by the measures they have sought after they had by historical standards the worst performance in recent history in midterm elections Many pundits and nervous voters, like myself, were very concerned that not that Republicans, per se, would win public office. I'm personally okay with Republican officials, as each voter has a little of both conservative or liberal political leanings. But my major concern was that the many fringe candidates, a.k.a. election deniers, being elected to public office. I could think of four distinctive factors that led to the red wave that never was. First, my guest emphasized this point early in our conversation. All politics are local. National campaigns made by Republicans and their far-right supportive political action committees depicted themes such as major crime waves only occurring in communities of color or in Democratic-led cities and states. They also depicted commercials and advertising of school children being classified or allowed to classify themselves as cats, or educators teaching children history, or in the words of conservatives, woke history. They even focused on some outlandish culture wars that, in retrospect, did not really resonate with everyday voters, especially independents. Second, geography. Due to the methods voting districts are mapped out, more conservative voters tend to live in rural areas. More independent and Democratic-leaning voters tend to live in major cities, which by virtue is forever growing in population versus rural communities. Basically, the Republican base did not expand as much in previous years. According to political analysis, when comparing the election results of this year and in 2020, Republicans' gains only came disproportionately in right-leaning districts that they already held. Basically, the party failed to pick up new ground. Third, the Supreme Court's decision in June to overturn the right to an abortion had more of an impact than expected. That single issue alone eclipsed other concerns by voters like inflation, crime, gun control, and immigration. In the previous episode of podcast episode 34, The Hispanic Voter, that single issue alone drove more women to the polls in favor of Democrats. Exit polls in Pennsylvania's Senate race, for instance, showed a plurality of voters rated abortion as their top issue. Of those, 78% of voters voted for John Fetterman, the Democratic candidate. Lastly, it would be the Republican candidates themselves. Without going into specifics, majority of Trump's endorsed election deniers lost. Those candidates embraced Trump's election lies as he still remains the de facto head of the Republican Party. I suspect many voters, even those who do not like President Biden much, would rather just move on. The current Republican leadership continued to behave in a way as if Mr. Trump has some magical electoral power. I wonder if given the same economic and political scenarios, 
Democrats control both houses of Congress and the White House, record high inflation, gun violence, and other issues on the minds of voters. And if every Republican candidate had just refused Trump's endorsement and just affirmed the results of the last presidential election, would those same Republican candidates have gained more seats and to control both houses of Congress? Well, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, we will never know. And to this host, thank God. As I said before, there are many takeaways from the midterm elections, and it's impossible to cover in just one episode. So I ask that you join me in my next and final episodes of Season 2 of Cuckoo for Politics. My guest and I will conclude our midterm election takeaways, as well as wrap up the 22 election year. This is Michael, host of the political podcast Cuckoo for Politics. Until the next episode, stay blessed.